From cult classics like Clueless and Sleepless in Seattle to newer movies like Holiday and Set It Up, Northwestern students love romantic comedy films, also known as rom-coms. And what better way to honor the spirit of Valentine's Day than discuss what makes rom-coms so good? Even the ones that are kind of bad. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Jackie Germain. I'm Naya Thinikachalam. And I'm Jordan Manji. This is Pod Culture, a podcast about arts and culture on campus and beyond. Personally, I've always loved rom-coms. I think my favorites would have to be Love Rosie, 10 Things I Hate About You, and He's Just Not That Into You. A part of me actually decided to major in journalism because these movies always centered female journalists as their protagonists. I'm not sure why this was the go-to trope, but I loved it. My recent rom-com obsession was actually a limited series on Netflix, Dash and Lily. It was horrible, but also combined the best parts of bad high school comedies and Hallmark holiday romance movies. What about you, Naya? Any rom-coms you love or love to hate? Well, I always love a good rom-com. I just rewatched My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is one of my favorites. A movie with a cute wedding scene? Count me in. I'm glad I'm not the only one who watches rom-coms to fuel my inner romantic. Take, for example, communication freshman Solome Bazuna. I definitely am like pro-romance, pro-Valentine's Day. <laughs> Maybe it's like my astrology. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm a big fan of fantasizing about cute relationships. And I think that rom-coms are like perfect for that. Communication sophomore Ahla Maladina, however, said she doesn't consider herself to be a hopeless romantic. She just likes to enjoy rom-coms on her own terms. I love rom-coms. I love, I love the drama. I love the gossip. I love the scandal. <laughs> I would not consider myself necessarily a romantic. I think like if I'm in real life met people who acted like they were in a rom-com, I would be forced to throw up in my mouth every time I saw them. So what even is a rom-com? Well, Merriam-Webster defines a rom-com as a light comic movie or other work whose plot focuses on the development of a romantic relationship. But there are countless subcategories within the genre. The late 90s to about 2010 was sort of a golden age for rom-coms. During this time, rom-coms were everywhere. Movies like 10 Things I Hate About You, 13 Going on 30, Love Actually, and more were released with wild success. The rom-com's familiar tropes, meet-cutes, friends-to-lovers, soulmates, used to have a routine presence in movie theaters and on TV. But when we needed them most, they vanished. Nick Davis, an English professor who teaches and researches commercial filmmaking, said the way we think about rom-coms has definitely changed over time. From like the 30s through the 50s, I would say it was one of the genres that Hollywood was proudest of and thought it had really contributed to the world. And now they don't get very good budgets. They're always terribly shot. It's usually all about showcasing how funny that comedian or that actor is. Evidently, we have superhero movies to blame for the death of the rom-com, according to Business Insider writer Jason Guaracio. This is because studios realized that superhero movies made more money compared to rom-coms. Furthermore, the changes in dating culture with the rise of dating apps led studios to think that young people just didn't relate to rom-coms anymore. Why randomly run into your soulmate at a coffee shop when you can just swipe right on Tinder? But 
Even in the age of Tinder and Hinge, some students still have a soft spot for rom-coms and are even defining them in their own ways. Take McCormick freshman Marcos Rios, for example. I think Ratatouille in my head is a rom-com. A rom-com, like, if there is a love arc and I am laughing, in my mind, that is a rom-com. Did I think, for example, The Three Stooges, was that a rom-com? No, there was no rom. Did I think Hunger Games was a rom-com? Possibly. I, I think we can extend the definition of rom-com a lot. Even though some of us watch the rom-com for the love arc, the plotline of a rom-com might be due for an update. The whole, like, becoming a couple as a happy end seems like total cart before the horse to me. Like, we should be making more movies about how hard it is to be in a relationship where you love and respect each other and desire each other, but you are complicated people and you gotta work through it. So that has always made me rethink what we look for in romantic comedies and whether we're asking for better images or more ideals about what falling in love would look like, or if we actually want to know what staying together or being a good partner to somebody else would be like. Because I don't think a lot of romantic comedy behavior <laughs> teaches you anything you should reproduce about how to fall in love or how to be a partner with somebody. So we love rom-coms, but it goes without saying that they have a troubled history with representation. As much as we may love them, rom-coms are notoriously white and straight. Professor Nick Davis says this issue of representation is bigger than rom-coms. It dictates the whole film industry. Hetero privilege, white privilege, class privilege still regulate that whole industry the way they regulate so many industries. You know, anytime you vary up those premises or cast differently or prioritize different actors or different characters, you're seen as departing from the norm in some way, as though like we have never displaced the rudimentary sense of what the norm is. Even when these movies portray people of color and or LGBTQ plus people, these characters are often token side characters who help their majestic straight white friends through their woes without ever seeing any real development or story of their own. Ahlam said even when people of color are the main characters, their representation often still centers whiteness. Especially for me as like a Muslim woman of color, I can't really say that like, I have ever, ever seen any representation of anybody who is remotely like me in any kind of rom-com. Any representation of Muslim women is always like oppressed, submissive hijabi who like is like oppressed by her backwards, doesn't speak English parents. And then she meets a white boy and he's like, you'd look pretty without that on. And she pulls off her headscarf and she's like, that's for you, white boy. I did it. I'm saved now, thank you. And she turns to her mom and she's like, you just don't understand me, you crazy brown woman. That's literally all the representation there ever is. And it's like, if that's what it is, I don't want it. Keep it, I do not want it. And while bad representation can be irritating at best and racist at worst, the vast majority of rom-coms, it feels like, are made up almost entirely of white people. Here's what Salome had to say about a rom-com she saw recently. There was one called Set It Up on Netflix recently. I watched it, I watched it multiple times, but like, <laughs> I didn't really like it that much. Honestly, it was fine. I feel like it was just very white. Altogether, it was weird that the bosses were people of color and they were like terrible people, but then the nice assistants like fell in love. This tokenizing representation has led students like Marcos to even question if they want to see themselves represented in rom-coms at all. Personally, I'm gay. And so the fact that there's not a lot of gay rom-coms is just like, 
<laughs> well, honestly, I don't even know if I'd want to watch a gay rom-com because I think it'd be like played out a little stereotypey. It'd be nice, but like in execution, I feel like like there's already so little representation. Is it just like what I want to see their like corporate attempt? So maybe like just more realism. I know romantic comedies are supposed to be like ideal and like it all ends up tied up perfectly happily ever after. But like sometimes romance isn't like that. And I think it can just be as good of a story and just as funny and just as romantic, even if it doesn't end up happy or tied up. Even when representation is there, it's not necessarily relatable. Beyond diversity, we need more inclusion from like, okay, this character you're telling me is Latina or this character is a lesbian or this character is trans or this character is working class. Are you just telling me that? I'm not getting a sense of any real texture that that really matters in terms of really running with how people's expectations or desires might be different because their identities and their backgrounds change what they're looking for. There is some hope, however, as filmmakers of color are starting to have an increased presence and notoriety throughout Hollywood, telling their stories in ways that don't necessarily have to be palatable to straight white audiences. Issa Rae, again, Insecure, is amazing. It's not a rom-com, but like she, it is like her trials and tribulations of <laughs> being a woman in LA and like her relationship issues. So in that show, I feel like I definitely see a reflection of like just being a black woman. Yeah, just with all the characters. But I wish that that was translated into movies more often. As we reimagine the future of rom-coms and representation, maybe we should consider focusing on stories that don't center whiteness at all. And I just love a rom-com that like has no white people, like zero, like none. They just don't exist in this world. <laughs> but even though there's no white people, there's no like tragedy. Like it's just nice, fun, happy all the way through, like good vibes. There's like a bit of miscommunication, you know, the classic will they, won't they kind of vibes. While we reckon with this issue, the beauty of rom-coms this Valentine's season is watching them with the ones you love most. Rom-coms are always my favorite thing to watch with my mom. We'll actually text each other whenever we see something like come out on Netflix, like, oh my gosh, I'm waiting to watch this with you when we get home. From the Daily Northwestern, I'm Jackie Germain. I'm Nathanie Kochlum. And I'm Jordan Manji. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pod Culture. This episode was reported and produced by Jackie Germain, Nayathani Kachlam, and myself. The audio editor of The Daily Northwestern is Alex Chun. The digital managing editors are Molly Lubers and Olivia Yarvis, and the editor-in-chief is Sneha Day.